Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can expand your sustainable and ESG opportunities with insights from leaders in the field. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these weekly conversations about developments in this fast-growing industry. It's a real pleasure for me to introduce today's program guest to the Sustainable Finance Podcast audience. Sarah Bratton-Hughes is Head of Sustainability North America at Schroeder's, which recently announced the completion of its ESG integration process across all investments that the firm manages, which means that Schroeder's fund managers and analysts will now systematically consider ESG factors as part of their investment analysis process. Congratulations, Sarah, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks, Paul. I'm so happy to be here today and be here with all of you on the line as well. Yes, well, I'm really glad you could join me. And first of all, I'd like to ask if you can give our audience some additional details about how ESG factors will be integrated into the financial analysis of all client investments with Schroeder's going forward. Great, thank you. And as you said, we just reached our 100% Uh, integration across all of our managed assets here at Schroeder. So we are fully integrated. So that means systematically incorporating sustainability as part of an investment process uh, is baseline here at Schroeder's. For those of you that don't know us, we've actually had a sustainable investing team uh, dating back to 1998. And why we started that team have continued to invest and grow that team um, back in 98 was to lead to better risk adjusted returns over time for our clients. Um, And that is the same reason why we committed to 100% integration here at Schroeder's. We truly believe that if we incorporate these long-term pre-financial trends into our investment processes, it will lead to better risk-adjusted returns over time for our clients. Um, One thing I always like to highlight is that it's a very inclusionary approach to sustainable investing when we talk about integration here. Um, So that means that you understand the sustainable risks and opportunities. Uh, You may have a company that has some poor ESG characteristics make its way into the portfolio, but you understand that risk, you're being compensated for that risk, or um, in the case of some of our investments, you feel that risk won't come to fruition over the time horizon in which you're investing. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you for that introduction, Sarah. And this announcement that Schroeder's has recently made marks the completion of a goal that the company set in November of 2019 to integrate ESG factors across all investments by the end of 2020. And you used the Schroeder's sustainability accreditation to enable your clients to distinguish how ESG factors are considered across the firm's products. Sarah, how does the sustainability accreditation foster client understanding of ESG investment integration? Well, Paul, you know as much as I do, uh, when you start a conversation around sustainable investing, uh, there's often that, that awkward pause on what do you mean by sustainable ESG, SRI, um, socially conscious, responsible mm-hmm. investing. Mm-hmm. So it's that constant dance with the person across the table to help understand and what that means. And although we committed to um, the full integration back in 2019, we've actually had our sustainability accreditation for uh, much longer than that. And that was originally 
um, form to help clients understand how sustainability factors were considered within their investments. So um, it's really focused on integration, uh, sustainability, as well as uh, targeted impact or focused on impact goals. And another way we tend to think about it is the within the framework of the impact management project. So the A, Bs, and Cs. So A, avoid, B, benefit, C, contribute. So let's break that down for a second. Sure. And the A category is our integrated strategy. So that's when we're, um, from a sustainability perspective, acting to avoid harm. We're, look, we're looking to understand and incorporate uh, sustainable risks into investment processes. So that's mm -hmm. the integrated, that's the baseline here at Schroeder's. Um, and that is done at the investment desk level. Mm -hmm. When we move over to B, that's focused on benefiting. So you're really focused on identifying companies um, that benefit a more sustainable world and outcome in your portfolio. So you're really targeting that sustainability piece um, and you have a broad based um, sustainable goals. So within there, we have a variety of strategies, everything from multi-asset to um, one of our core uh, flagship sustainable strategies, Schroeder's Global Sustainable Growth, uh, which was run by Catherine Davidson, who is also a guest on yes. your podcast here. Wonderful a wonderful Catherine. guest, a wonderful <laughs> guest. Tell her I say uh, hello. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention her, her flagship strategy in there. And then when you move over to the right C, and this is where we're really seeing a lot of momentum here in the U.S. across both institutional as well as intermediary investors. And that's that C, the contributing to solutions. So looking for investments that align to uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the UN SDGs. So much more or tend to be more thematic in nature. So they run the entire gamut. Um, from products focused on climate change to health and wellness to diversity and inclusion. Um, so there's a whole gamut of, of funds and strategies that fit into that pillar. But for us, it's about offering the spectrum um, and being very clear with clients on where their products fit in the spectrum of sustainability because it's not a one size fits all approach here. It's a much more solutions oriented approach when we think about sustainability. So now, Sarah, that's very interesting. Um, you mentioned that the contributing solutions, the C category, is very popular with your clients here in the U.S. Did I hear that correctly? I, because I, you know, that's uh, as you said, that's more thematic. Um, uh, and I'm I'm just curious as to why you think or why why you're hearing from clients that that's the the category they're most interested in as U.S. investors. So I would say it's gaining momentum here in the U.S. and we've seen see. a real shift towards that. Um, and I think there's a couple of um, different reasons for that. So we've seen not just here in the U.S. but also abroad this very thematic approach to sustainability starting to pick up as people are really saying, "I want to move my capital towards these solutions." So you've I seen see. this pick up um, in terms of that. I think in the U.S. it's picked up. Um, for that reason, the contributing, but also another reason. And I think it's a little bit of a differentiator between the US um, and the European market, where the European market thinks of sustainability more from the risk and the beta perspective. Mm -hmm. What we've seen here in the US is a shift in mindset and thinking about sustainability from an alpha perspective. So just to put some numbers around that, um, historically, 
uh, the most common question or the most common pushback I've gotten about sustainable investing has been this notion that you have to give up performance to invest sustainably. Um, and those have come through every year we do a large global investor survey. And every year it's this whole hesitation um, on giving up performance. Uh, you have to give up performance to invest sustainably. Well, I'm glad you're not the only firm that uh, I'm glad you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're getting that too, because that's what I get from advisors and investors all the time. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's okay. <laughs> Because I think what's really interesting, Paul, is that in 2020, we saw a shift. Um, mm. And I was a little bit floored. I actually almost fell off my chair when I saw it mm. um, and said, could it be true that actually 55% of Americans said that they fear that if they don't invest sustainably, they'll give up on performance. So part wow. of that, I think, has to do with sustainability really uh, really proving itself in the dark days of the crisis. If you think mm -hmm. about last March when markets were in free fall mm -hmm. um, and sustainable funds outperformed, even on a sector neutral basis, it wasn't just the tech's overweights and the underweights to energy on a sector neutral basis, sustainable funds also outperformed. So it, it proved that it was no longer a bull market luxury. And, and interesting, when we take our survey, it's right in that market, right around that time. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen this real mind shift uh, in investors here. And I also think, that in terms of thematics, I think people are, are starting to come or be aware of how much capital is moving in this space and the momentum of capital in the space and the amount of capital that is supposed to move uh, based on regulatory or regulations, whether it is what we've seen come out of Europe with the EU sustainable finance bill and sustainable mm -hmm. taxonomy, not only putting their flag in the in the ground in terms of being a leader in disclosure, but also wanting to be um, actively move capital away from quote unquote brown industry or dirty industry into more green industry. But also we've seen a swath of executive orders here in the US and those policies have um, real potential implications uh, in terms of the businesses that are not only going to survive but thrive in the future. And I, I like to point out this one because it was buried inside of a, a an executive order. Um, it wasn't one on its own, but it really focused on um, this accounting for the benefits of reducing climate pollution. And President Biden putting out a committee that's focused on identifying and coming up with a social cost of carbon, a social cost of NOx, and a social cost of methane. Um, and if you think about if any of those costs come through in the in the form of a nationwide, whether it's a carbon price, uh, we're in for a hockey stick-like transition here, right? As all of a sudden the externalities that companies create are gonna be passed back on with them. And you have to think that the companies that have invested in tra either transitioning their business model greener or their new entrants are, are poised to uh, collect a lot of that capital. I agree so, with you. Uh, I agree with you 100%, <laughs> sir. And I also uh, believe that based on what's already underway in Europe from a regulatory uh, and infrastructure perspective, that um, since most large US corporations derive a significant amount of their revenue from the European markets, they're going to have to adapt to those markets. I 100% agree with you, but this is something I'm actually get really sort of excited about, not, uh -huh. not necessarily in a positive way. But I think that with the EU sustainable finance bill, it's going to require significant disclosure 
Um, mm. Asset managers are going to be requiring significant disclosure by the companies they're invested in. And, and you really hit the nail on the head is that uh, many people think that this is just an EU bill. Well, actually, any asset manager that is has over 500 employees and is registered to distribute funds in Europe has to abide by that. So that's not just Schroeder's, that's BlackRock, that's Fidelity, that's Vanguard. Um, it runs the whole gamut of large U.S. asset managers that are going to be asking more of the companies that they're invested in, in terms of um, disclosure and how they're handling some of these uh, potential transitioning risks. So I think you hit the nail right on the head. Great, great. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm in the in the ballpark at least. So, <laughs> now, Sarah, let's go back to the Schroeder's uh, analytics process for a moment because I have another question for you related to that. Now that ESG factors are fully integrated into the financial analysis of Schroeder's clients' investments, I believe that the next step uh, you're going to take will be looking to understand the impact of investments and the risks your clients face as a result. And actually, you were just referencing this about uh, uh, your clients in Europe, at least. Uh, in order to reach its new impact goal, Schroeder's has developed a platform called Impact IQ, encompassing the firm's proprietary analytical tools, which include SustainX. So tell our listeners more about the Impact IQ platform. Sure. Uh, so Impact IQ is a platform that encompasses many of our uh, quantitative sustainability tools that we've developed here at Schroeder's. So our sustainability team has developed a robust toolkit over of over 10 proprietary tools and frameworks, all with the aim of taking these long-term structural trends and turning them into actionable investment implications. Well, what does that mean in real terms? I've never met a portfolio manager that speaks in carbon footprint. Well, at least here <laughs> in the US office. Um, however, when you create a tool that can potentially stress test their portfolio, if carbon was priced at $100 a ton and tell them the implication of the, of the uh, profitability of the companies in which they're invested, then you're turning it uh, something that is quite intangible to an investor into the language that they speak, which is data and dollars. So all of our tools are built on this premise to quantify uh, the sustainability risks and opportunities. So we've developed a proprietary platform, Impact IQ, for our investors and for our clients to help them understand the impact of their investments. Great. Uh, just two things off the bat. Sustainability sure. is not an outsourced function here at Schroeder's. So our sustainability team is developing the, the tools, the framework, the specialty knowledge, uh, but we're putting those in the hands of our those that know the investments the best. That's our investors. So sustainability is truly embedded in the process. It's not some team in an ivory tower in London uh, telling our US small cap managers what they can and cannot buy. It's about building the flexible tools and frameworks and giving it to our investors. Um, and so for, for Impact IQ, what we're doing here is really focused on quantifying um, sustainability risks and opportunities. So the, the, the tool has two main functions. And the far side is again, a, focused on sort of that avoiding no harm, that risk perspective of it. And within that lives our uh, flagship tool, SustainX, which in its simplest form is a potential measure of future sustainability risk. So it's quantifying the externalities that companies create and crystallizing them into hard dollar terms. Uh, that's also complemented by 
our uh, carbon value at risk model. So that's uh, stress testing a portfolio for a transition risk, mm -hmm. as well as our physical risk model. Um, and the final piece of that part of the toolkit is focused on governance. So helping to assess a company's uh, strategy as well as um, their board composition. And if you, the, the other part of that framework, I would say is definitely more on the alpha side where you're really trying to identify um, those sustainability, uh, those companies that are poised to uh, benefit from these sustainable trends. So we have a proprietary tool called Themex, which is focused on um, the, a, how a company's goods or services align to the sustainable development goals. Um, and then we're also in development of a climate alignment tool. So focused on uh, how aligned a company's portfolio is to the goals of Paris, as well as uh, net zero. Not, uh, I always tell everybody to watch, keep your eyes on the climate alignment tool. We're not getting a ton of demand uh, here for the US. We're starting mm -hmm. to uh, mm -hmm. with some of our institutional investors, but there is definitely a lot of questions um, coming out of Europe uh, about portfolios alignment to the Paris goals as well as net zero. So uh, if it's anything else like we've seen with sustainability, um, it, it sort of starts in Europe and makes its way over here. So definitely one to keep your eyes on. So but the momentum there all should of be built. Oh, definitely. Um, I always say, come talk to me in nine months um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot more engagement here in the U.S. on that. But what they're all aimed at doing is really quantifying sustainability impacts um, as a potential measure of future risk and opportunity. And we think of it along the spectrum like this. You had asset management 1.0 and everybody was just focused on returns and maximizing returns. Then you had asset management 2.0, which was focused on risk and returns where people were wanted to maximize risk adjusted returns. Um, and we really think we're, we're at a place where we're at asset management 3.0 where social and environmental factors are becoming larger and impacts are becoming larger costs to what you're invested in. So we think about it as return risk and impact um, and really this concept of impact adjusted profits. Okay, great. So recently your colleague, Andy Howard, who's the global head of sustainability at Schroeder's was quoted in an ESG Today magazine, uh, online magazine article as follows. Companies that build businesses able to adapt to the intensifying social and environmental pressures they face can increase returns or reduce risks compared to those that don't. Now you were really just uh, speaking to this about your various tools, Sarah. So please give our investor and advisor listeners a couple of examples of companies which Schroeder's has invested in that have increased returns and reduced risks to investors through adaptation to social and environmental pressures they've been facing during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I think what we have been really uh, watching closely in COVID-19 um, is how companies have reacted to the pandemic, how they've reacted and how they've treated their workforce um, in particular. And I think it's interesting. Um, we've seen to our dismay, um, some companies that we were 
uh, concerned with their, their treatment of employees going into the pandemic. Uh, we've been very disappointed in some of their response to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, but I would say there are companies that are, are quite the opposite and that really surprise us to the upside. Um, and we feel over time they will be rewarded uh, for how they acted in the crisis. And this is something that we have kept uh, track of here at Schroeder. So we mm -hmm. actually have a database that we call the COVID sinners and the COVID saints. So it is <laughs> something we're, we're actively tracking on um, the global level. And I would say just to give an example of a company that we were really surprised to the upside. Um, this company is a business, it's a services company. Uh, one half of their business, they do uh, food services. So think about food services to stadiums, uh, universities, uh, school districts. So mm -hmm. clearly very impacted by the, the pandemic. Um, and the other part of their line is uh, uniform services. The other part of the business is uniform services. I and see. this is actually a company that surprised us to um, the upside on, on how they behave. So historically, they had had a number of issues uh, around the worker stakeholder pillar mm -hmm. um, where they had um, been, you know, historically underpaid workers. Um, there had been poor culture. Um, and it was a company that a couple of years ago when we first got invested, there was new management that was brought in. Uh, but, but the company was still dealing with um, issues, legacy issues around the culture. And, and I think everybody on this call acknowledges that culture is one of the hardest things to get right yes. in, in many organizations, particularly in an organization that is so service heavy yes. um, as this one. So the, this company actually took the opportunity um, to really revamp their sustainability image around the pandemic. So uh, first thing was they were in businesses that, you know, their food service business was exponentially impacted by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. They had no choice but to furlough some workers. Um, but the first thing management did was all take massive compensation cuts to ensure that the employees that they furloughed would keep their benefits, I see. Um, particularly their health care benefits during this. Um, the second thing that the company did was they actually had the food services contract for the city of Chicago. Mm. Um, there's many children in the city of Chicago that depend on uh, their daily meals at school um, in terms of food insecurity. They continued uh, to serve meals to the children of Chicago throughout the crisis. Mm. Um, and then what management also did with their uniform services, um, their uniform services business was that they pivoted those supply chains and actually started manufacturing PP and E um, within their supply chains here. So um, it really showed the uh, investor community, uh, one, a management's ability to pivot and, um, and execute uh, quickly. Mm -hmm. And two, their commitment to uh, culture within the organization going forward. And it was a position we actually added to because it was one of those sort of baby got thrown out with the bathwater. Mm. Um, and it was a position we actually added to in the depths of the crisis because we truly felt 
that over the long term, they would be rewarded. When they go next year to rebid for the city of Chicago and they can see what, demonstrate what they did in the depths of the crisis um, and they're bidding for the city of Boston and LA and um, to us over time, that's gonna be reaped back into them in terms of new contracts, uh, better benefits, they're not going to have as many issues retaining their workforce. And you think it's a service industry, how much it costs to train recruit uh, because of how they treated them during the crisis. Um, and then obviously management's ability to pivot and execute on the, on the uniform services businesses. So we think over time, this company will be re, uh, rewarded for the behavior in the crisis. Uh, we've talked about Catherine. Catherine has this great phrase. I'm sure she probably used on your podcast of corporate karma, right? <laughs> um, and yes. you think about it and you think about it in the construct of employees, like you can only shortchange your employees over the short term to maximize long-term earnings for so mm. long before that comes back to you in the term and turnover, uh, and replacement costs into uh, poorer customer experience and lost market share. Right. Um, so for us, it was great to see some of these companies really step up, um, to the, to the really step up um, and, and execute uh, throughout the, this crisis, both from a business standpoint, as well as from a long-term um, sustainability standpoint. That's great, Sarah. I, that's a great uh, um, positive example uh, to end our call on today. I wish we had more time. We could, could go into a couple more, but uh, I really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon and uh, spending it with our audience. My guest on today's podcast has been Sarah Bratton Hughes, Head of Sustainability North America at Schroeder's. Sarah, where can our audience learn more about your work with Schroeder's and how can they get in touch with you for more information about topics we've discussed on the podcast program today? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on today, Paul. I really enjoyed it. Um, and for more information about sustainability at Schroeder's, you can visit www www.schroeders.com backslash sustainability, or feel free to email me at sarah.hughes at schroeders.com. Great. Well, thanks again, Sarah Hughes. And for the advisors in our audience, Schroeders will be sponsoring the RIA channel ESG practice playbook in March. And Sarah Hughes will join me and Jeff Gitterman during session one on March 3rd to discuss how advisors can identify and integrate ESG strategies into client asset allocation models. So you can email me at paul at paulellisconsulting.com for course details and the ESG Practice Playbook website link for registration. Please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.